My job this morning is pretty rough. <laughs> I got to talk after all this. Uh, that is great. No, I love what I do. Just uh, good gracious, the music and uh, Charlie and the guys. Man, it's amazing stuff. Carry on, my wayward son. Um, one thing, one thing. Give me give you a couple of thoughts. We're talking about a search for meaning, a search for purpose in life. And, um, and you know what? I'm going to tell you this right now. I'm going to tell you this again. A couple of minutes. One thing. One thing. All right? Now, I want to get you some, just kind of get you into the flavor of all this and give you something to think about here and just give you some thoughts. Some random thoughts about the meaning of life from uh, mostly philosophers, well, philosophers, theologians, uh, First one's a philosopher, a modern-day philosopher, actually, uh, who just not long ago passed away. Belief not tempered by doubt poses a mortal danger. It's an interesting thought, Derrida says. Isn't that an interesting thought? Belief not tempered by doubt poses a mortal danger. Just not saying I agree with all the conclusions that that might take you, but it's something to think about. Um, Carlyle, Scottish philosopher, author, thinker, put it this way. I like this. The older I grow, and now I stand on the brink of eternity, the more comes back to me that sentence in the catechism, it's a Westminster Confession, which I learned when I was a child, and the fuller and the deeper the meaning, it deeper its meaning becomes. What is the chief end of man? To glorify God and enjoy Him forever. Pretty good thought, too. And, of course, one quote that I have used often, and some of you who have been here before have heard me use this quote. It's from Augustine, one of my favorite theologians and a philosopher as well. Thou hast created us for thyself, and our hearts are restless until they find their rest in you. Whenever we talk about meaning and purpose in life, you know, it's, it's almost an elusive thing. Somebody reminded me this week, we talk about this little thing I do sometimes on Sunday, or excuse me, sometimes on Friday we have a little tea at 10 thing you've seen on the schedule, and those who uh, have schedules that uh, can accommodate that will come. We meet in the office over in Milburn, and we just chat about a lot of things, but I always have some, uh, some quotes and some Bible verses in which we kind of bounce around a little bit. And somebody said this, and I thought it was really an insightful comment, um, that it's one of those things that we have to kind of renegotiate. And at our age, my wife and I's age, um, which really isn't that old, but I, I just always have to say that. And there's a guy here this morning that said, I think you have a complex about this age thing. And I said, yeah, you got that one right. How long did it take you to figure that one out there, bright boy? But anyway, uh, at, our, at, our, at our age, at our, our time in life, you know, you think about some of the things you renegotiate in terms of purpose because you go through a whole period of time where you just kind of married and having kids and working on careers and raising kids and, and being a, being a, you know, Basically, being a, a chauffeur in some cases, and, and so forth, and uh, and then and then things happen as as we, has happened to us a few years ago. It's actually been a few years. It seems like it was just yesterday that we became empty nesters, and all of a sudden you start renegotiating the whole thing. What's my purpose in life, and and what are we doing, and what's our meaning, and 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 you know the whole thing. And so, whatever season in life you might be in, uh, this is one of those things that you kind of negotiate and renegotiate, um, and rethink and rethink. And you know, one of the things that we have to just continually do is, is sort of just dwell on that for a moment. So here's what I want to do. I want to just give you, we're going to talk about the search for meaning. Right? That's my, my title here, the search for meaning. 
And, and my subtitle really is, is a whole lot of different things, but I just, I don't have this for you on PowerPoint, but it's Profound Thoughts for an Abstract Journey. Okay? It's Profound Thoughts for an Abstract Journey. Because if there's anything we know about life, it's abstract. And it goes here and it goes there. We, when we started doing this rock and roll series this time, Steve and I talked about possibly doing the long and winding road, the Beatles song. We opted out for another Beatles song, which is in two weeks, which I can get by with a little help from my friends. I won't be singing it. But, but, um, and we'll talk about that in a couple of weeks. But um, we talked about the long and winding road and how life is like that. It's a long and winding road. And we don't often, what am I saying often? We, we don't know where that road's going to take us. Um, from one day to the next, we plan, and we should plan. And we think through things, or at least some of us do, and we should try to do that. We still don't know where it's going to go. So let's talk about some of these. i got basically three kind of movements of thought, profound thoughts, I'm going to call them, and that I want just to kind of guide our discussion here and uh, kind of get you to follow along with me, all right? First thing is this. First profound thought that I want to give you is this. Questioning is sensible, though unusual. You say, what does that mean? Questioning is sensible, though unusual. You probably need somebody that loves you to tell you this. So I'll tell you, because I care about you. A lot of people go through life without thinking. Well, I, got a, I, don't know if, I don't know if you noticed my, I got a new Bible. Did everybody notice my new Bible? It's a really cool Bible. I, I get excited about new Bibles. I don't know what my deal is, but I, I still get excited about new Bibles. This is the message translation. Let me tell you why I like my Bible. Besides, it's small and cool and sleek and young looking and all that. Um, <laughs> what did I say? No. Uh, it's got, you can't probably, I don't know if you can see it from the front row, but right here it says think. I like that. I need that reminder. Think. Think about what you're doing. Think about what you're saying. Think about life. Think. And I like it because it's on the cover of the Bible. And so many times people approach the Bible without any thought. This is what so-and-so says. I'm, I, I like to know what so-and-so says. And I have, a, I have a computer program with about ten different commentaries. And I like to read them. But you know what? I also have a brain. And sometimes I come up with things that they didn't. Sometimes they're good, you know, and you too. That's why, that's why, that by the way, I don't know if you know this, 1517, October 31st, Martin Luther nailed 99 theses on the door at Wittenberg, which began what we now know as the Reformation. And uh, that's today, by the way. Happy Martin Luther Day, or whatever you would call it. Now, how we got Halloween out of that, I don't know. It's all Souls Eve and all that other kind of stuff, but that's okay. We don't, we don't you know, it's candy, who cares? But, um, you know, but, but that's, what, that's one of the things that Luther talked about in that, in that whole deal, was the priesthood of each believer, of each person, being able to come to God for himself and come away with the interpretation of understanding what the Bible says, certainly with an understanding and a and, and the wisdom of, of the ages and of, of the aged and so forth. But also, I don't throw away my brain and my mind to just accept what somebody else says. So and that's, that's one of the cool things about this. So when I talk about questioning as sensible, though unusual, I, I always think of the, the thing that Socrates said that I just, you know, it becomes almost a mantra in our age, but I love it. The unexamined life is not worth living. Um, it's just so true. The unexamined life is not worth living. Let me show you something C.S. Lewis said, too, because I, this is really good. Um, if the whole universe has no meaning, 
This is, watch this, watch this. We should never have found out that it has no meaning. <laughs> Just as if there, there were no light in the universe and therefore no creatures with eyes, we should never know it was dark. I mean, that's kind of a simple, but it's a profound thought. And here's what I want you to understand. Many, many of us, at, at, at different times in our lives, and hopefully not, but sometimes for a large part of a person's life, don't stop and they don't think and therefore they don't question. That's a dangerous place to be. Give me the questioner every time. I don't care what he's questioning. And sometimes it's because of just the satisfaction with the present. It's just okay. And, that's that, and, and they'll deal with that. They don't want to think any further. Sometimes it's just the, the busyness of life, which can happen many times to us. Um, it's just the busyness of life, and we don't take time to stop and think. And that's sometimes where uh, I learned, and I've shared this with you before. If you're visiting, I'll just hit it about 15 seconds. And that is that that's when I first, the first time when I was 49 years old before I did it, the first time I did a contemplative retreat just for four days. No talking except to God and just the Bible and me. Gosh, that was hard. I wanted, to do, I wanted to be busy, you know. I was even, I was at a monastery. I was even looking, I thought, you know, one, I'm by myself, so I have nobody to talk to. I'm just talking to God. I got so desperate, I thought, there's got to be a TV around here somewhere. I started looking through closets for TVs. And the sisters couldn't figure out what the heck I was doing. I said, ah, you know, and they just called me father, and I just said, okay, you know. And I, I just took it and didn't say anything, but I couldn't find one. Anyway, um, it was hard. Why? Because all I had to do was think. That's a good thing, though. That's a real good thing. So here's my point. When we this first little, I call it a profound thought for an abstract journey. Questioning is sensible. It's the right thing to do, but not a lot of people do it. Question. That's okay. Search. That's okay. There are no boundaries for that. I think there are some places where we can find some, some absolutes. Maybe not as many as we would like, but I do believe there are some. But question, there's nothing wrong with that. And I, I, fear, and, I, and I emphasize that because I fear sometimes we, I hope I haven't done this, but the church, Big C, has sort of squashed that a little bit, you know? Don't question, don't question that. Well, why not? So, we're trying to define purpose. We're trying to define meaning. We're looking for that one thing, that one thing. Question, it's sensible, but it's unusual. Second thought that I want you just to think about for a moment, and that is this. God is real, but he is a mystery. God is real, but he's a mystery. You know, let me, this is a great quote right here. I'll tell you who said it later. I don't have it for you on PowerPoint. You just got to listen to it. Saying you have a problem with God because of what he allows or does is like saying you have a problem with women because you don't understand them. Oh, it's kind of funny. I mean, you know, it's, I mean, think about that. Isn't that true? And you say, well, Rich, that's kind, of a, that's kind of a sexist thing to say. Not really, because women are much more complicated than men from my perspective. I mean, w- you really are. With us, it's real simple. You know, food, football, and sex. There will be a, we're okay. You know, don't worry about us. You know, it's real simple. With women, it's so much more complicated. <laughs> So much more complex, and you're wonderful creatures, you are. But anyway, I thought that was a cool quote. Saying you have a problem with God because of what he allows or does 
is saying like you have a problem with women because you don't understand them. I wrote that. But anyway, uh, <laughs> I'm sorry. <laughs> I wrote that and I said, Charlene, what do you think about that? Oh, I don't know. So uh, the censor let this one pass, okay? Um, let, me, let, me, let me show you this because God is real. He is a mystery. And many times we don't understand certain things about God or some of the things that He does or some of the things that He allows. And this isn't something that you get better with with age. Because the longer I live, the more times God has heard me coming to Him saying, God, I don't, I don't understand this. What, 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 what's going on here? He hasn't answered me yet, but I'm still questioning. And I'm still searching. And in some cases, I find some, some answers. That doesn't mean there aren't some, some questions and some doubts. Let me, read, let me just show you this, and you can follow along with me from Isaiah chapter 55. Great passage from the Hebrew Scriptures. Isaiah 55, verse 6. Seek the Lord while you can find Him. Call on Him while He is near. Let the, people from their wicked de- uh, let the people turn from their wicked deeds. Let them banish from their minds the very thought of doing wrong. Let them turn to the Lord, that He may have mercy on them. Yes, turn to our God, for He will abundantly pardon. Now watch this in verse 8. This really gets good. My thoughts are completely different from yours, says the Lord, and my ways are far beyond anything you could imagine. For just as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways, watch this, so are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts higher than your thoughts. I had a good example of this this week. And don't get the wrong idea. This isn't the way Charlie and I normally spend the week. It just so happened this week we had two nights that we were in the theater, Okay. The first night was Thursday night, and we went into New York to see Charlie, who sang. And he's, he's been in this little off-Broadway production um, of The Last Starfighter. Oh, it's a great play, man. And, and, and all I had heard from Charlie and from Will, our other Broadway guy, and Laurie, who's Broadway, and everybody, and, and Heather, who I don't know if she's here, but she was in the play, and she's a Broadway. This is a horrible play. This is a terrible play. This is ridiculous. And I said, Charlie, why are you doing it? Well, I had to do a favor for somebody. So it's, it's not, he says it's not off-Broadway, it's off-off-Broadway. And from the looks of the theater, it, it, it could have been 500 miles from Broadway. Let me just tell you. I mean, it was rough. It was rough. And it, but it was quite an experience. And there, there was a movie several years ago, about 20 years ago, called The Last Starfighter. And they had made this uh, into a script with a musical and so forth. And Charlie was the last starfighter. And, uh, and it was... It was well, I'll give you my conclusions in a second. But anyway, I told Charlie as we're, as we're taking the train, I said, my biggest fear is I hear from all of my friends, the theater people, I hear from all the theater people that this is a terrible play. And I said, my biggest fear is I'm going to like it. You know? And what does that say about me? You know? So we go. We go to this little 99-seat theater with one bathroom, which you have to share with the actors. And... Um, this is, you know, I'm t- a half block off Broadway. I'm not kidding. And, um, and we're, we're, it's, we, got there, we had to sit in the front row, which was uh, folding chairs in the front row, because we were kind of on the stage. And, and I understand now why they have so much space between you and the stage on most Broadway performances. Because by intermission, I'm needing a shower. I mean, you know what I mean? I mean, I mean... It's rough. And I'm like, where is i, I got to get in that bathroom quick because, man, i got to get washed up here. Because um, we're right here kind of in all this stuff going on. But I, I, and, and so after intermission, uh, they had a few no-shows, so we got to go sit 
you know, three rows back, the back row. And, um, and, um, and I'm sitting there beside a guy. I'm not exaggerating. And, uh, and I'm sitting there beside a guy who's got a clipboard. And uh, I said, and I've heard this talk from the theater people enough that I, that I, I can kind of bluff my way through. I said, so you must be a producer. He said, uh, something like that. I said, well, what do you think of this play? So I'm just, and he says, uh, well, what do you think of the play? And I said, you know, I don't really count. I'm just, I'm a nothing. And he said, well, what do you, I said, look, I said, I'm, I'm a minister. I said, what I think of this play really doesn't matter. And he said, no, I disagree. He said, what you think matters is more than what I think. Because you're the public that we're trying to, trying to appeal to. What do you think? And I said, can I tell you confidentially? And he said, yeah. And I said, I love it. <laughs> I said, I like it. And I, and I thought, you know, since he's a producer, I get a plug-in from my buddy. I said, and Charlie's great, isn't he? But, um, but um, I'm telling you, know, and, he's, and he says, you know, that's what I want to hear. He says, it doesn't matter what I think. I see these things all the time. He says, I want to hear from people like you. So we chatted a little bit about it. He's a real nice guy. So anyway, the next night, where's my playbill? Did you guys take it? Um, the, no, you got it back there. The next night, Charlene had I'd already purchased some uh, um, season tickets for the uh, Shakespeare Festival out at Drew University. And we were to see Macbeth. And you know what? <laughs> you know what's coming, don't you? <laughs> the part that I remember when I wasn't sleeping, um, I'm walking away and I'm saying, you know, it's okay. It's no last starfighter, but it's okay. <laughs> and I told the theater people that this morning. And they were like, Rich. You have no clue. And they were kind and loving about it. But they, you, you know, Will was almost with disdain. You went to this and you fell asleep? Yeah, I, I fell asleep. And, and, and it was a great, by the way, if you have, if you have those tickets out at, out at uh, the Shakespeare Theater there, Drew, it's a great, they do a great job with Macbeth. But um, I, I'm a critic now, and I'm official. Here's what I came away with. Theater speaking. It's not good English, but you understand. Speaking from the theater, and, I, and I'm dead serious about this, it's funny, their ways are much higher than my ways. And I acknowledge that. And I recognize that, you know, I've got to have something blowing up and something else going on before I'm really going to like it or have it a, you know, arcade game or something like The Last Starfighter was. Um, their ways are much higher. They, they look for things and they see things that I probably will never see, even though Charlene and I go to quite a few uh, uh, performances on Broadway and so forth just to watch and enjoy it. We love it all and so forth, all that we, we go to. And so their ways are much higher. They see things, they understand things that I'll never understand. I don't, I don't have a, a master's or a doctorate in some of these guys' cases in theater and all the stuff that goes along with that. I haven't studied it. I just go and either enjoy it or fall asleep, one or the other, you know? And, and that's the deal. In a much, much greater sense. Magnify that about a hundred times or more. That's a little bit what this verse is saying about life, about me and you and God. My thoughts are completely different from your thoughts. I see things that you'll never see, Rich. God's a mystery. And to think that some finite human being, pathetic creatures that we all are, can understand an almighty, all-powerful God, that's pretty shallow. That's pretty silly.
God is real, but he's a mystery. Let me show you one last great quote on this point, and I want to take you this last one thing and we'll be done. Last thing comes from, a, 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 well, this, this, this last quote here from uh, Athanasius, Bishop of Alexandria. Just look at this. He, speaking of God, he is by nature invisible and incomprehensible, having his being beyond all created existence. God, by his own word, gave the universe the order it has, in order that since he is by nature invisible, men might be enabled to know him, at any rate by his works. For often the artist, even when not seen, is known by his works. So, by the order of the universe, one ought to perceive God, its maker and artificer, even though he be not seen with bodily eyes. For God did not take his stand upon his invisible nature and leave himself utterly unknown to men. But as I said above, he so ordered creation that although he is by nature invisible, he may yet be known by his works. You can know about God through his works. God is real, but he's a mystery. So we're, we're, we're moving along here. We haven't gotten to that one thing yet, have we? Let's get to that one thing, one thing. Live, here it is. Not the one thing yet, but the third thought, third movement of thought. Live by eternal truth, just make sure it's truth. This is the one thing. If we're going to live by eternal truth, we better make darn sure that it's true. Otherwise... What have we accomplished? Um, this is where examination and re-examination comes in. Sometimes it happens more at midlife for many of us than other times. And I, th- I have a theory about that. That's because it's usually at midlife that we have the opportunity to kind of step back and just sort of think through things a little more. The kids are at a place where we can do that. No lights. That's okay. We don't need lights. Um, we're usually at a place where, where we can do that. And uh, the kids are at a place where, you know, they can take care of themselves. And sometimes, we step, and sometimes we call that midlife crisis. Sometimes we call that, you know, midlife something or another. Often, not always, not always, but oftentimes it happens about midlife. We stop and we can think through these things. Uh, if you're not there, don't, don't stop. Don't stop, you know, don't stop now and wait until that happens. Never, never too late to start thinking about some of these things and thinking through these things. So, let's get to this one thing that I know, all right? Are we still okay with this? Yeah, we still got PowerPoint. Um, Solomon has this for us. And Solomon accomplished this after a long search himself. I want to show you very briefly his search. And then the one thing. The one thing. And you're going to leave here with that one thing. Okay? I hope. And I pray. Let me show you this. This is just a real capsule uh, nutshell of Solomon's search. It's all of Ecclesiastes. But it's, uh, we're just going to take one chapter of it. Chapter 2. And look what he says. What do I think of the fun-filled life? Insane, inane. My verdict on the pursuit of happiness? Who needs it? With the help of a bottle of wine, preferably Pinot Grigio, and all the wisdom I could muster, I tried my level best to penetrate the absurdity of life. I wanted to get a handle on anything useful we mortals might do during the years we spend on this earth. So, first thing is he becomes a builder. Watch this. Oh, I did great things. Built houses, planted vineyards, designed gardens and parks planted a variety of fruit trees, and then made pools of water to irrigate the groves of trees. Then he goes to influence. Watch this. Verse 7, I bought slaves and male and female who had children, giving me more slaves. Then I acquired large herds and flocks, larger than any before me in Jerusalem. Big influence. 
Then he tries money and stuff. Verse 8, I piled up silver and gold, loot from kings and kingdoms. We're told, of course, there have been many movies made about this. Solomon was the, was, the, was the richest, most wealthy man in the world at his time. And maybe forever, maybe ever, maybe ever. Then he tried entertainment. I gathered a chorus of singers to entertain me with a song. And then last, sex. You know, you've got to throw that in there somewhere. And the most exquisite of all pleasures, voluptuous maidens for my bed. Look at this, verse 11. Then I took a good look at everything I'd done. <clears throat> looked at all the sweat and hard work. But when I looked, I saw nothing but smoke. Smoke and spitting into the wind. There was nothing to any of it. Nothing. He tried it all, folks. He tried it all. He tried everything. You name it, he did it. You name it, he had it. If he didn't have it, he'd go buy it. If they couldn't buy it, he'd go conquer some other country and take it. That's, that's, that's how he lived. Let me show you what he says there. He says, that's it, nothing. Still haven't gotten to that one thing yet, have we? Now he is. Let's get to the one thing. That one thing. Look at it. Ecclesiastes chapter 12. After all this, there is only one thing to say. Have reverence for God. Obey his commands. Because this is all that human beings were created for. God is going to judge everything we do, whether good or bad, even things done in secret. One thing. Have reverence. More literally, a reverential fear for God Almighty. That's the one thing. That's a big tent. Because that means, in my situation, I have that one thing, and I have found that one thing to be what I do. I'm a minister. For you, that one thing may be a Wall Street trader, or a teacher, or a housewife, or raising your kids, or, or you know, just add to that, actors, whatever. One thing. See, that's what's so cool about this. It doesn't say the one thing has to be, everybody has to, you know, sell everything you got and, and, and go minister to, to the poor in Calcutta. That's a great ambition and a wonderful thing that Mother Teresa had has, when she did that. But that was her one thing. Out of reverential love and honor and fear for God. What's your one thing? Have reverence for God. And you know what? I don't expect you to leave here today saying, I know my one thing. Your one thing is, big picture, have reverence, honor, love God. Smaller picture, to quote the cowboy, that's what you've got to figure out. But God doesn't leave you alone to do it. He'll help you. That's where prayer comes in, talking to people, asking God, God help me. But let me tell you where it begins. It begins when we come and step over that line of faith and say, God, I want to trust my life with you. I want to put my trust in what Jesus did for me first. That Jesus came and suffered on the cross and died, went to the tomb and rose again to give me eternal life and abundant, a fulfilled, fulfilled living. And the ability through a relationship with God to figure out what my one thing is. He can do that. And he'll do that for me, and he'll do that for you. Let's pray together. As we're praying, I'm going to ask the band, all of you, all, all of you, come on back up here, if you would. Come on up while we're praying. Uh, God, we, we do pray and just ask that you would, I pray for each person here. 
And that in their own way, maybe they leave here and go talk with some other friends about it or their mate or, or family or, or whomever. Uh, maybe they take some time later in the week or whatever to just sit down and think about this and maybe even talk to you about it. But just to, just to dwell on this one, one thing of what it means to honor you and have reverence for you and what that means in their life and what that might change or what that might enhance or, or how that might just change their attitude and change their, their heart and their spirit. Pray for each person, Lord. I, ask, I, ask, I just ask, Lord, that you just deal with each person um, with, this, with this issue. We pray that under the grace and in the name of our Lord Jesus. And we thank you. Amen.